When I was a kid, something that my whole family eagerly anticipated every year as Christmas approached was the arrival of a package from my mom's brother and her family in Vermont. This package would include gifts from my brother and I, and it would also every year include a container of pure Vermont maple syrup. Yes, and this was syrup that my uncle and his family had made on their property. They had maple trees and a sugaring operation. They'd always include like a half gallon or so of maple syrup in this package that we would receive. Now, my mom grew up in Vermont, and she loved, I mean loved, maple syrup. We, we never had it much growing up except at Christmas time. I think it might have been too expensive for us. So she was very excited. We all were excited. She was very excited when this package came. And in fact, breakfast on Christmas morning was always something you could put syrup on. Pancakes, French toast, waffles, it didn't really matter. The maple syrup was the star of the show. And so we really enjoyed getting that gift every year. As you think back on Christmases in your life, are there any gifts that stand out to you as ones that you really enjoyed receiving? Uh, for me, I most years would ask for books for Christmas, for whatever series I was in or wanted to start, and my parents many years would buy those gifts, uh, buy those uh, books for me. And I loved unwrapping on them on Christmas morning and seeing the stack of them and anticipating getting to dig into these new books. Of course, I'd burn through them in just a few days, but I loved getting books for Christmas. Maybe you're like me, you're a book person, or maybe for you, you remember a toy that you really wanted, you asked for, and you got it. Maybe you got that bike that year. Maybe you got a pet that you uh, really enjoyed uh, having for years to come. There's these gifts that stand out in our mind as ones that we really enjoy getting. There's probably also some gifts that stand out for the opposite reason. Were there any gifts that you got that you weren't that excited about? Yeah, socks, I hear that, yes, absolutely. I remember, I think I was about 11 years old, and my grandparents had gone on a cruise through the Panama Canal, and when they were in Panama, they bought my Christmas gift. It was a button-up shirt that was bright yellow with yellow embroidery on it. And when I opened that on Christmas morning, I was less than excited. I am glad that they were not there to see my disappointment because I don't think I could have hit it very well. And um, my, my grandparents usually got me great gifts, but this year I just could not imagine in my 11-year-old brain what the social situation was where I would be excited to wear a bright yellow button-up shirt with yellow embroidery on it. I was disappointed by that gift, but I got over it pretty quickly. I got other great gifts that year, and in the grand scheme of things, getting one gift I didn't particularly like, not that big a deal. You know, sometimes when we are disappointed in life, it's relatively easy to just move past it and get over it. It's not that big a deal. But other times, we experience disappointments in life that are on a much bigger scale than just getting a gift we aren't excited about. We experience these disappointments that aren't so easy to get over with. To, uh, to recover from. We are disappointed, for example, by people in our lives, Im important people in our lives who, who we love and who we trust, but they let us down, sometimes in very profound and painful ways. We can be disappointed just by life itself. We can think, wow, by this point in my life, whatever age I am, I thought things would be a little different. I thought I would have accomplished certain things by now. I thought I would have passed certain milestones 
I thought I'd have certain relationships in my life. I thought the relationships I had would be healthier than they are. I thought I would have accomplished more and suffered less than I have. Disappointment is a part of life. This morning, though, as we come to God's Word, we're going to see some good news, a word of hope, because Jesus has been born for everyone who's been disappointed, which, let's face it, is all of us. This morning, we're looking at uh, Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17, as we begin this Advent series called A King is Born. As we think about Jesus coming this Christmas, we're focusing specifically on his identity as king and why that's such good news for us that a king has been born. The verses we're looking at this morning are how Matthew begins his gospel. It's how he sets the stage and prepares his readers for what he's going to say about Jesus' birth and Jesus' life and ministry. So would you stand with me and follow along as I read these verses for us? You say, Tim, that's an awful lot of names. Are you really going to read them all? You bet. Buckle up. Here we go. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Well, Lord, we thank you so much for your word and for the revelation you wanted to bring us by your spirit through your word today. And we pray that as we look at your, your word together, God, that you would continue to move in this place, that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see you more clearly and see ourselves more clearly in light of who you are. We pray that you'd open our ears and our minds to hear and understand all that you want us to today. Lord, I pray against any distraction or confusion would, that would get in the way of your word going forth clearly. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, move on our hearts, quicken our hearts so that we would respond to you in the ways you want us to respond today, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, when we read that genealogy, for us it's a lot of unfamiliar names. But for Matthew's first readers, those names would have had a lot more meaning. Many of uh, Matthew's audience were Jewish believers in Jesus, 
And so these were not just names, these were their ancestors. These were their forefathers and a few of their foremothers as well. But this was connecting them to their history. In fact, that's why Matthew starts his genealogy in this way. He, he's putting the birth of Jesus in the, the wider context of the whole story and the whole history of the Jewish people. Uh, he, he's wanting to remind them that the birth of Jesus is not just an isolated event. It's an essential part of a larger story. That's an important reminder for us to hear as well. Because every year around this time, it feels like we enter an alternate reality, Christmas land. Suddenly, we're listening to Christmas music while we go Christmas shopping to buy Christmas gifts. We're getting out Christmas decorations and, and getting our Christmas tree. And we're baking Christmas goodies and preparing for Christmas dinner. And we're going to Christmas parties and getting ready for Christmas church services. And we're in Christmas mode until January comes and then it all goes away. We take down the tree, put away the decorations, go on a diet to lose all the weight we gained, <laughs> and we re-enter normal life for 10 or 11 months until we shift gears and again engage Christmas mode. Now, I, I like that Christmas is special, and I enjoy all those Christmassy things I just mentioned, but what a mistake it would be to treat Christmas as an isolated holiday that's disconnected from real life. Because what we're celebrating at Christmas, the birth of Jesus, it is an essential part of the bigger story of our lives. This is what Matthew is wanting to remind his readers of as he begins his gospel. The birth of Jesus is connected to a bigger story, their story, to the, to the story of the Jewish people. By running through this genealogy as he does, Matthew is summarizing their history, reminding them of it. And the way he structures this genealogy He's, um, he's drawing attention to certain moments in their history, certain parts of the history of the Jewish people. And it, as, as, uh, as Matthew organizes this, he organizes it in three parts, from Abraham to David, from David to the exile, and from the exile to the birth of Jesus. And each of those moments that he emphasizes, each of those parts of Israel's story are moments that we can identify with. Our stories have a lot in common with the story of Israel. As we look at these verses this morning, I want to point out those parallels, and then I want us to consider how the birth of Jesus fits into the bigger story of our lives and gives us hope. Uh, Israel's story and our stories. Uh, Matthew starts by talking about Abraham. Abraham was chosen by God and was blessed by God. Look at what it says in Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham's story starts with identity, blessing, and destiny. God speaks identity to him. He talks about his name being great. Later, this is emphasized when God actually changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And God says, changes his destiny as well. He says, you are going to be the father of a great nation. There's a purpose for you. There, there, I will, uh, God promises that he will give the land that he's taking Abraham to, will give that to his descendants. So there's destiny there, and there's blessing. God says, I will bless you, and I will make you a blessing. All nations on earth will be blessed through you. And we can identify with this part of Israel's story because our story with God 
starts with identity, destiny, and blessing as well. When we uh, come into relationship with God through Jesus, our identity changes. Just as God changed Abram's name from Abram to Abraham, so he changes our identity. We go from being sinners to being saints. We go from being rebels against God to partners with God in the work he's doing. We go from being his enemies to becoming his children. Our status changes. We are adopted into God's family. Our identity is now that we are beloved sons and daughters of our heavenly father. And that identity defines us more than anything else in our lives, more than our families of origin, more than our life circumstances, more than our successes, more than our failures. Our identity changes. And not just our identity, but our destiny changes. The whole direction of our life shifts. We're no longer living for ourselves. We're living for God. And the future we're headed toward is a future of close relationship with God forever. And we get to start enjoying that now. And we have been blessed to be a blessing to others. Jesus would say to his disciples, forgive others as you have been forgiven. He said, freely you have received, freely give. So we can identify with uh, the part of Israel's story that Abraham represents. The next marker in the genealogy is David. David was the greatest king that Israel ever had. And even David becoming king fulfilled a promise that God had made centuries before. The patriarch Jacob, when he was close to dying, gathered his 12 sons around him. These men who'd become the fathers of the tribes of Israel, and he blessed them. Look what he says to Judah. He says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of nations shall be his. So uh, God had promised all the way back there with Jacob that from Judah would come the one who'd be the king of, of Israel, and that was initially fulfilled in David. God fulfills his promise, and just as was prophesied, David did win victory after victory for, for God's people. In fact, in 2 Samuel 7, God says, I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Incredible victory. And then God makes this amazing promise to David. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So God had made promises to David. He fulfilled promises in David. He brought victory to David. And we can identify with this part of Israel's story because we have received promises from God as well. We have promises from God that he's made to us in Scripture. We have other promises consistent with Scripture that he's spoken to us prophetically, that he's spoken to our hearts, and he fulfills those promises. And God has brought us victory. Man, last Sunday it was so exciting to hear so many testimonies of how God has been at work to bring healing and connection and restoration in people's lives. And I know that if we would have had more time, more testimonies would have been shared. We have seen the victory of God in our lives. We can identify with David 
and the part of Israel's story that he represents. The next marker in the story is the exile. And if Abraham and David represented all the blessings and promises of God to his people, the exile must have felt like all those blessings and promises were being undone. Because of his people's sin, God allowed Babylon to conquer Judah, to destroy Jerusalem, to destroy the temple, and to take almost all the population captive into exile in Babylon. And to say that was disappointing would be a colossal understatement. God had promised Abraham that he would give him and his descendants this land, but now his descendants had been removed from the land. God had promised David that his throne would endure forever, but now there was no king in the land. After a few decades, the people were allowed to return. They rebuilt Jerusalem, they rebuilt the temple, but it was never the same. The monarchy was never reestablished. And even as Matthew wrote his gospel some 600 years after the exile, it was the Roman Empire that controlled the land that God said that he would give to Abraham's descendants. Sadly, we can identify with this part of Israel's story too. Because there are seasons we go through that are seasons of deep disappointment. Seasons when our life just seems to go off the rails. Sometimes, like was the case with God's people, this is because of our own sin. I always smile when I see the meme come across my, my feeds. It says, I believe that everything happens for a reason. Sometimes that reason is you're stupid and you make bad decisions. <laughs> hey, I, I've lived that. I've been there. And sometimes that's the case. But sometimes the reason we're in a, a, a valley of deep disappointment is not because of anything we did. It's just because we live in a world that's full of brokenness and disappointment. And sometimes it's the sin of others and how it affects us that puts us in those places. We experience this in our lives. You've probably experienced this. You know someone who's experienced this. You might be going through this right now or you might know someone who is. We go through these times of deep disappointment. And we, and we, we experience this ourselves and we experience this more broadly too because we live in a world that can be a very disappointing place. I mean, I'm disappointed when I, I look at so much of the state of our country and our world today. I'm disappointed when I see people choosing against God's truth and choosing to live according to their own human wisdom instead. I'm disappointed when I see the way just wickedness and immorality shows up in everything from the way our culture thinks about sexuality to the way politicians abuse their power to the way greedy people misuse their money. I'm disappointed. I'm beyond disappointed when I hear about yet another mass shooting, yet another tragedy, yet another miscarriage of justice, yet another natural disaster, yet another war. I'm disappointed. So I'm really glad that Israel's story does not end with exile. Because there's another marker in this genealogy, and it's the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. The Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the king who would come. Uh, Jesus, the king, is born. And Matthew wants to make sure that this is, is understood. He's been building up to this point. Because the story of Israel did not end with exile, 
uh, the story of Israel found its fulfillment and its resolution in Jesus. And our stories find their fulfillment and resolution in Jesus as well. Just as Israel's story did not end with exile, our stories do not end with disappointment. They may contain disappointment along the way, but that's not where they end. And even though this world can be a disappointing place, the story of this world will find its fulfillment and its resolution in Jesus. That Jesus, the King, has been born was good news for Israel, and it's good news for us, it's good news for anyone who's experienced disappointment in their lives. There's at least two reasons why the birth of Jesus, the King, is such good news for those who have been disappointed. First of all, it's good news because it, it demonstrates that God remembers His people. The birth of Jesus the King demonstrates that God remembers His people. It had been over 580 years from the time of the exile to the birth of Jesus. 580 years of waiting. It had been 400 years since the ministry of the last Old Testament prophet, Malachi, until the birth of Jesus. 400 years with no word from the Lord. 400 years with no prophetic ministry. 400 years of silence. And in those centuries of waiting and silence, what must the, the, the people of Israel felt and thought? Did they wonder where God was? Did they wonder what He was doing? Did they wonder if maybe their sin had been too great after all? Had their repentance not been sincere enough? Had God given up on them and moved on to more promising prospects? It seems like those sorts of questions must have been in the minds of some. I think that's part of the context into which Jesus came. As Luke records the reactions of the first people who heard this good news that Jesus the King was born, he portrays them as bursting into song when they hear this great news. And look at what Mary sings when Gabriel tells her that she's going to be the mother of God's son. She sings, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham, Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And then Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist, he sings this when he considers that his son is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. Mary and Zechariah are celebrating that God remembered his people. Zechariah's name actually means Yahweh has remembered. They are celebrating that God remembers his people. The birth of Jesus showed that he had not forgotten about his people. He remembered them. And friends, he remembers he has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. When we go through those valleys of deep disappointment, we can feel overlooked and forgotten. It's common to feel that way. And it's really painful when we're overlooked and forgotten by people in our lives who should be remembering us, who should not be forgetting about us or overlooking us. That it's hard when we feel that. You know, we, uh, there, there's a movie we often watch at this time of year uh, that deals with being overlooked and forgotten. It's called Home Alone. Uh, young, young Kevin McAllister is overlooked. He's forgotten at home while his family goes to Paris on a vacation over Christmas. And there he has to fend for himself for a few days. And of course, he ends up outsmarting some bumbling thieves. There's a lot of slapstick humor. It's funny. It's heartwarming. It's funny to watch Home Alone. It's not very funny when we live that in our lives, when we're overlooked and forgotten. And it's especially painful 
when it feels like we've been overlooked and forgotten by God. And as much as our minds may tell us theologically that can't be true, sometimes our hearts feel a different reality. It feels like we've been overlooked. It feels like we've been forgotten. And we can ask questions like, God, where are you? Why aren't you moving more tangibly in my life? Why can't I sense your presence like I used to? Was my sin too great somehow? Has my repentance not been sincere enough? Have you given up on me and moved on to more promising prospects? The songs of Mary and Zechariah and the genealogy of Matthew show us that the answer to those questions is a resounding no. No, he has not given up on you. No, he has not moved on. No, your sin is not too great. I can't can't answer all the why questions you may have. I, I don't know why it feels like you're overlooked and forgotten, but please hear this word of assurance from the Lord today. He has not forgotten about you. He sees you. He remembers you. He is at work in your life, and he will be at work in your life to show you mercy. Let the birth of Jesus the King remind you this Christmas that God remembers his people. That's one reason why his birth is such good news to those who've experienced deep disappointment. It's also good news because it demonstrates that God uh, fulfills his promises. God fulfills his promises. For those 580 years from the exile to the birth of Jesus, the people of Israel were living with a tension. This tension was that God had made promises that were not yet being fulfilled. Worse, there were promises that he had fulfilled, but it felt like he revoked. I mean, how else would you interpret the the reality that God told David, you'll have a throne that endures forever, and yet the line of Davidic kings had stopped with Josiah and his sons and hadn't been reestablished. And yes, God had told Abraham, all nations on the earth will be blessed through you and the great nation that your descendants will become. But how on earth is that promise going to be fulfilled when those descendants are dispersed across the entire known world and their homeland is occupied by a foreign power? And God had prophetically promised that there was a king who was coming, the Messiah, who would fulfill all those promises ultimately. And the people believed that. They desperately wanted to believe those messianic prophecies, but it was taking so long for them to be fulfilled. As years turned into decades and decades turned into centuries, they continued to live with this tension of promises they'd received but had not yet been fulfilled. But look again at what Mary and Zechariah sing. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. The birth of Jesus the king demonstrates that God fulfills his promises to his people. God fulfills his promises. Now some of us are are living with the same kind of tension that the people of Israel were living with in that before Jesus came. Because there are promises that God has made to you that are not yet fulfilled in your life. He's given them to you. You know they're going to be fulfilled, but it hasn't happened yet, and it is taking so long. Why is it taking so long? I don't know. I don't know. What I know is that God's sense of timing is often very different from ours. Even when we think about the birth of Jesus, I'm sure to the Jewish people, it felt like it was time for the Messiah to come 
long before the day when Jesus was born. But in Galatians 4.4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. I bet the people of Israel thought the fullness of time had come before God determined the fullness of time had come. In my life, I think the time has fully come for some promises to be fulfilled and for God to work long before He has acted. And you, no doubt, have experienced the same. So there is mystery to the timing here, but God fulfills His promises. Some of us are living with this tension personally, individually, but there's a very real sense in which we all are waiting for God's promises regarding this world to be fulfilled. We live with the tension because this world is not how God has said it should be, and it's not how God has promised it one day will be. We celebrate the birth of Jesus the King at Christmas, and that means we're celebrating that the kingdom of God has come among us. The kingdom of God has been put within our reach. God can have His way. God's will can be done in our lives and in this world. That heavenly reality where God is perfectly having His way breaks into our earthly reality. We celebrate that that has happened. And yet we recognize that while the kingdom of God has come, it has not yet fully come. Jesus has come, but He is coming again. And in the coming that we celebrate at Christmas, His advent among us, His first coming, we we celebrate that He inaugurated His kingdom. But when He comes again at the advent that is yet to happen, He will consummate His kingdom. He will complete it. He will bring it fully. He will resolve all injustice. He will right all wrongs. He will bring a final and complete victory over all His enemies. We know that's coming. Jesus has promised that He is going to return. We believe it. We desperately want to believe it. But it is taking so long. Why is it taking so long? I don't know. I feel like the time has fully come. feels like now would be a good day for Jesus to return. We don't know why, but even when we don't understand the mystery of God's timing, we can celebrate the certainty of His faithfulness. The birth of Jesus the King reminds us that God fulfills His promises. Our stories in many ways are Israel's story. Like Abraham... We have experienced a new identity and destiny and blessing from God. Like David, we have received promises from God, and He's fulfilled promises for us, and He's brought us victory. But like the Israelites, we know what it's like to go through seasons of deep disappointment, to feel the darkness of an exile in our hearts and our souls. But like Israel, exile and disappointment are not the end for us. The birth of Jesus the King reminds us that that there is hope for those who have been disappointed. Because God remembers his people. God has not forgotten about you. He is, and he's faithful and he fulfills his promises. The promise that he's made, the promises he's made to you will be fulfilled. And God has not forgotten about this world. Even though we look around and we see war and dysfunction and tragedy and, and evil, God has not forgotten about this world. He's working in this world, working in this world through us to bring his kingdom more fully and then to finally bring his kingdom when he returns He will fulfill His promises. And so today is a day for us to be reminded of that, to remember that this is true. And when we think about Christmas, to remember the faithfulness of God, to remember us and to fulfill His promises, for us to be encouraged and to take hope again today. As we think about responding to to God's Word today, I imagine that we find ourselves in at least a couple of different sorts of places. 
Some of us maybe are in a season where we're not feeling the disappointment in a profound way in our life. We're wonderfully in a season where we're seeing God's blessing and His provision, and disappointment isn't a word that would characterize us. But we know what that feels like because we've been through those seasons, and we know people who are in that kind of a place. So response for us today is to pray for those we know that are facing this disappointment. It's to pray for this world that still deals with the disappointment of things not being perfectly aligned to, to what God would want them to be. Others of us, maybe you are in one of those seasons where you feel the disappointment. Maybe there's even some disappointments that the Christmas season triggers. It brings to mind losses in your life, and there's, there's the disappointment of grief that you're feeling. There's the disappointments of strained or broken relationships that you're reminded of at Christmas, and you hear about other people talking about who they're going to be with, and you're just thinking about who you're not going to be with. Maybe the disappointment in your life is from some other source, but you're feeling that disappointment today. I just want to encourage you to bring that disappointment to the Lord. I bring it to Him again. Confess, God, I know you haven't forgotten about me. I know you're going to fulfill your promises, but bring the disappointment to Him and allow Him to encourage you and give you hope this morning. Let's just bow our, our heads for a moment of prayer. Invite the worship team to come. We're going to celebrate the, the rule of God, the reign of God before we close. But just take a quiet moment now to pray for yourself or for others that we'd experience the hope and encouragement that God wants to bring. Lord, I pray for anyone here or listening to this who is experiencing that disappointment in this season of their life. I pray, Lord, that you would meet them with your hope and your encouragement and your peace and grace in a very tangible way. Lord, it's one thing to believe things are true in our heads, and we do hold on to that. We'll confess what's true even when we don't feel it. But I pray, Lord, that in your, your mercy, you would allow it to, that truth to sink into our hearts, that you would bring courage where we feel discouragement, that you would bring hope where we, uh, where we just have sort of given up just pray against the despondency and any sense of despair that tries to settle in. I pray against the depression that tries to take root and that disappointment. We just we want to face disappointment, Jesus, with you, and to not ignore it or gloss over it or not or not feel it. We want to feel it with you when we don't want anything uh, to take root that shouldn't take root in that disappointment. So we bring that disappointment to you. We acknowledge it before you. We're trusting you for your provision. We're saying no to depression, despair, despondency, uh, discouragement that would try to lodge in us. And if that's lodged in us, we dislodge it right now in the name of Jesus and pray that you would take that from us and fill us with your hope and your peace today. And as we go through this season up to and, and after Christmas, we pray, Lord, that uh, you, would, you would fill us with hope as we think about you, Jesus, being born and all that that means for us. In your name, amen. But I do want to bless us as we go from this place. Chapel family, I bless you in the name of Jesus with the victory of Jesus in your life this week. I remind you that you are more than a conqueror because of him who loved you. I remind you that greater is he than is in you, the Holy Spirit of God, than he that is in the world. And so uh, I bless you with victory today in your life that the fact that Jesus the King reigns would be seen in your life in tangible ways as you, as you think, as you feel, as you choose, as you talk with friends and co-workers and neighbors, as you go about your everyday life this week, it'd be a life of victory 
empowered by the victorious king who reigns. He reigns. Chapel family, we are blessed as we go from this time. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. God bless you.